Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hey guys. So the interview that you are about to listen to is so good that I don't even know what to highlight in this introduction because the entire thing is solid gold and we go through so much. This is all about strengthening your body and strengthening your brain. Your brain, something that we sometimes neglect. A lot of people don't think that they can really improve their brain, that you just have the brain that you're born with but you have so much power to make a difference. And the reason we want to pay attention to the brain is we want to be happier. We want to feel more productive. We want to have a better memory. If this is something that interests you, then you are in the right place. I'm interviewing Dave Asprey. I'm a huge fan of his. You might know him because he's the creator of Bulletproof Coffee, which I love. He is a Silicon Valley investor, technology entrepreneur who has spent 15 years and over $300,000 learning to hack his own biology. Now get this, Dave lost 100 pounds, 100 pounds without counting calories or doing excessive exercise. He upgraded his IQ by more than 20 points and lowered his biological age. This man is uh, so smart, (laughs) so, so smart, and has such a big heart. So we're talking about a big brain and a big heart. It's the perfect combination. As always, this show is sponsored by thetappingsolution.com. And I must share, I had no idea that Dave was such a fan, and it meant so much to me when he talked about the effectiveness of tapping and why he's so supportive of it. So check it out. If you're new to tapping, go to thetappingsolution.com. Dave and I talk about tapping and I talk about weight loss. I have a fantastic book called The Tapping Solution for Weight Loss and Body Confidence. Because of many of you, it was a New York Times bestseller. And there's a fantastic program at thetappingsolution.com, a seven-week program for weight loss and body confidence. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to feel like you're doing everything and nothing is working. So if you're struggling with your weight, with your body image, definitely check this out. And all that work with The Tapping Solution, it complements Dave's work so nicely. So I'm so happy that he's here sharing so much and being so incredibly generous with all of you with this information. Uh, And last thing, if you love this show, it is so helpful for you to leave a five-star review. It really helps. It helps spread the show. I find it incredibly encouraging. So if you like this, the best way that you can let me know that you can show your gratitude is to leave a five-star review in iTunes and to spread the love. Like I always say, this is an act of love. So spread the love to your family and friends. Enjoy the show. Dave, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be on, Jessica. 
I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, there's, I, I spent the weekend reading your book cover to cover, and it's very difficult for me to figure out what I want to ask you in such a short period of time. So first off, I just want to recommend this book because there's so uh, much amazing information in there. But I, I actually want to start the discussion by talking a bit about your background. And I'd like to segue into that by sharing just a quick client story. And once you hear it, you'll know why it's relevant. Um, as I was reading your book and I was reading about your story, I thought about this past summer, I was teaching at the Omega Institute and a woman raised her hand and she shared with me that she had lost 90 pounds, which is incredible, but she had 60 pounds left to lose. She was still considered obese. And no matter what she did, she couldn't lose the weight. And so she was in this pattern of panic and worry and anxiety and stress. And then she would get to a place where she would think, what's the point of trying when it's never good enough? And so she would go back to binge eating. And so with tapping, I was able to support her there. I was able to support her with the panic because you can't problem solve when you're in that state. So I was able to help her become more, say, resourceful and creative and solve a problem. But then here, this is why I recommend you and why I think my followers are going to love your work, because you are a problem solver and you encourage people to do the same. So I'd love to hear your insights because I know this story is a common one. Someone who feels like they're trying everything and it's heartbreaking. Nothing seems to work. And so they think, well, what's the point of trying? Well, it's easy to just run out of energy. Mm. And it, it turns out there are some common elements between tapping and some of the, the nutritional or some of the other lifestyle hacks you can do to have more energy in, in the cells. And it's that these, these little guys inside our cells called mitochondria, they were bacteria uh, two billion years ago, and they still follow the rules of bacteria. It, it turns out we've now shown beyond any doubt that your mitochondria are sensitive to vibration. And <laughs> they're tied into your nervous system in a very fundamental way, as in neurons don't fire if mitochondria aren't doing what they want to do. In fact, they're in charge. So I, I believe that when, when you're tapping, you are at, at a really low level communicating with a part of your body that's way more in charge than we ever recognized. So when you get someone like your client who is literally running out of energy because her biology isn't working. Her mitochondria, these power plants, these batteries in her, her cells, they're not getting enough energy. So they're creating an anxiety response and they're causing the body to store energy instead of use it. So then you have less willpower. Well, you can intervene on an energetic level with Bulletproof Coffee and supplements and these other things in, in Headstrong, just the lifestyle recommendations to turn up mitochondria energy. At the same time, you stack it with something that directly intervenes in these little bacteria and in the nervous system where you do your tapping exercises and the anxiety level plummets, which allows the mitochondria to take your cells out of get ready to run away fight or flight mode and put them into relax and recover and restore mode. And then your client suddenly goes from, I'm miserable and I don't, don't know what's going on and I don't have enough energy and I'm out of willpower to like, I think I'm in charge now. And, and like, yes. that's, that's game changing. Yes, absolutely. And 
When I was reading your book, it was interesting how you started off by sharing that you were the fat kid who was starving themselves. And I think that's something that people relate to as well, trying so hard and not seeing results. What did you discover through your own process? Because I love how your work, you really care about what you do because you went through your personal journey. Can you share a bit about that? Absolutely. I hit 300 pounds in my early 20s. And this is going to sound really weird, but when you're fat, you actually know you're fat. Uh, You don't need a scale. Uh, You have a mirror and you have your pants size, uh, which is all you really need. So you say, I'm going to do something about it. And most of the time, if you believe all the, all the stuff that's out there, like, oh, it's because I'm weak. And so I'm just going to eat less and exercise more. And if I can just do that, then I'll lose weight and I'll also be a good person because then I'll be in charge. And what happens is that recipe doesn't work. <laughs> it's shown not to work over and over. But the more you do it, the more you feel like a failure, the more you feel like you, know, you don't have enough, you're not enough. And the more anxiety it triggers and the more helplessness it triggers, which also triggers a sense of anxiety. So you get kind of caught in this thing where you keep doing the same thing that doesn't work. And the more you do it, the the weaker it makes you. And the weaker it makes you, the harder you feel obligated to do it. And you just end up spending all of your willpower, all of your available energy on doing stuff that takes away your energy. Right, right. So you mentioned mitochondria and... I had, did not even know this existed until I started to listen to your podcast and to read your books. If you're explaining this to your own kids, how do you explain it? I mean, you mentioned a little bit about it, but can you tell us a bit more for those who kind of hear that word and their eyes glaze over like they, they just need a little bit more of a reference? Oh, yeah. So imagine when you get a brand new iPhone, uh, you can charge it really quickly and it holds a charge all day. By the time you go to bed at night, the charge is run down, but you had plenty of power all day long. Well, you have a battery in your body. It's about 10% of your body weight, and it comes from these ancient bacteria that were incorporated into our cells about two billion years ago. And every animal, pretty much every life form, has mitochondria or something similar to mitochondria, and they come from this fusion of these little red bacteria with another life form, and that's what our single cells are made out of. Well, over time, depending on environmental variables and depending on your age, your your battery in your body, it also gets run down. It won't take a charge. You're supposed to eat food. Food charges you up, and then you have the energy. Well, what if when you eat the food, some of the food doesn't go into energy? It either just gets wasted in inflammation or it gets wasted in fat instead of powering your brain or powering your muscles. That's what's going on. So all, all Headstrong is fundamentally about is how do we hack that system? How do we make it young again? How do we make it take a charge the way a new phone does instead of the way an old phone does? If you can do that, you're going to live longer. But more importantly, your brain is going to work better because guess which part of your body uses the most energy? It's your brain. So that as soon as you fix your energy, your brain turns on first. Right. It's interesting. You hear people say that they want to lose weight or they want to put on more muscle, but you never hear someone 
or at least I haven't, have a New Year's resolution of I want to improve my brain, I want to improve my focus and my memory, because I think a lot of people don't believe they have that much power over their brain. So what power do we actually have to change our brain and what changes can we expect when we begin to implement some of these hacks? You have huge amounts of power over your brain because as soon as you have just a little dip in the energy available in your body, you'll feel it in your brain first. The average cell in your brain has about 15,000 of these little tiny batteries in it, and cells in the rest of your body might have a few hundred to a thousand. So it's like an energy hog. That means that when you're feeling tired, distracted, uh, brain fog, the post-lunch coma, uh, unmotivated, oftentimes it's just a lack of energy in the head. So your energy management systems were off a little bit and you felt it as just like, just I'm just less interested. I just don't feel like doing anything right now. You're, I'm kind of blah. That can actually happen just at an energy level, which is, uh, which is kind of ridiculous. And once you change the energy level, you're going to feel it in the brain first and it all comes down to those little mitochondria. Right. I love the ref- all the references you make to Superman in your book or on your podcast in Kryptonite. So I'd love to talk about some of the things that really damage um, mitochondria and then some, you know, we'll learn some hacks on how to improve it. What are, you know, a few of the things that are really impacting us? Let's start with one of the most surprising. Do you find something that you share and people have no idea it's even bad for them? Yeah. It turns out that toxic mold is a major, major factor for people's energy. In the ancient war between bacteria and mold, uh, this has been happening for at least two billion years. Mold wants to eat the cheese, bacteria wants to eat the cheese. So mold makes poisons that kill bacteria. We call them antibiotics, like penicillin. And it turns out there's 200 species of mold that are particularly toxic for humans in part because the poisons they make break the battery in your cells. That means that, for instance, a very common mold in coffee is called OTA. This is regulated in many countries because it causes cancer and other problems. It's not regulated in the US. So there are people listening to this, a lot of people listening to this right now, who are used to drinking a cup of their favorite coffee, and then two hours later, they get jittery and anxious, and maybe they have more coffee, or maybe they just go have some sugar to feel better. And they have no idea that it wasn't the coffee or the caffeine that caused it. It was the toxin that created that feeling of anxiety. The feeling of anxiety is something you can turn off with tapping. It totally works. People don't know that half of buildings, at least half in the US, have damage from uh, water leaks or condensation that triggers toxic mold growing indoors. It's such a big problem, I filmed a documentary about this called moldy movie it's at moldymovie.com where i interview a bunch of experts on this so you might have this weird thing where every time you go into your office or your school you get this weird feeling of like foreboding anxiety you start uh, tapping your different points and you know that you're just not feeling as good as you did before well maybe it's not you maybe it's your environment and it turns out your bacteria your mitochondria in your body there's a quadrillion of them And they are incessantly listening to everything in the environment around you. EMF, light, temperature, sound, vibration, everything. And they're changing themselves on a sub-second by sub-second basis. And that's one of the reasons you can intervene so effectively with with tapping or with deep breathing exercises or just by changing your environment or changing your diet. Right. 
Right. How does someone figure out whether they have mold in their house? What's Is there an easy way? Uh, well, the easiest thing to do is to just uh, look for it and smell for it. Mm. But quite often you'll say, I don't really see anything. There's a test called an ERMI test, E-R-M-I, and a mold inspector will do it. It usually costs about $400, $500. There's also a company called myermi.com, M-Y-E-R-M-I.com, that uh, can send you a test kit. And the deal is you compare the spores inside your house with the spores outside your house. And if you have a lot more toxic spores in your house, it's a pretty good sign there's a problem. Right. Well, what also blew my mind when it came to the coffee is when it comes to the mold, that even organic coffee can have this mold. Unfortunately, the way coffee's made, organic or not, they pick the coffee, throw it in the back of a truck, and then they let it sit in these big outdoor tubs, oftentimes just filled with river water, and they let it spoil for a couple days. And then they hose it off, and unfortunately, the spoiling process there creates these toxins that are heat-stable that stick to the coffee bean, and they don't wash off. And this is called washed coffee, which is still less toxic than the old way they made coffee, which is called natural process. And the, the, the big issue we have now is that Japan, China, and all of Europe have regulations about the, this kind of stuff in coffee because it's well studied. The U.S. has no regulations. So when coffee is illegal to sell in China, they're like, oh, ship it to the U.S., they'll drink it. And then we feel anxiety two hours later and we have no idea why. Right, right. So... We know mold, and again, this is not just, it's in our house, but it's also in our food. Uh, what about, what's another kryptonite? Another kryptonite is fried food. Even if it's fried in coconut oil or something like that, people don't know this, but your cell membranes are made of droplets of fat, and they function well when the fat is undamaged. And when the fat's been damaged by heat and by frying, then your body tries to build cell membranes and it can't use the cell membranes effectively to make energy because of the damage to the fat. It's totally surprising, but if someone offered me a plate of fried stuff and a cigarette and said you have to pick one of the two, the cigarette causes damage to your arteries for four hours. And by the way, I've never smoked. Smoking is bad for you. <laughs> uh, uh, Thanks for but, clarifying. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, gross, but the fried food causes arterial damage and mitochondrial dysfunction for at least 24 hours. So really, neither one of those is a good choice, but people find it really shocking that cigarettes are better for you than fried food, and it comes down to mitochondrial function. Right. So this morning, my husband goes, oh, are you interviewing the don't eat french fries and change your lights guy? Because that's <laughs> because those are the two things. One time I screamed when I heard you say that. I, I'm not very good at communicating sometimes with my husband because I just yelled over the banister, we have to stop eating French fries. I can't believe this. <laughs> and, um, and he was like, no. What about an air fryer? An air fryer is, is better because you're not at least dipping it in damaged fat. An air fryer, though, gets the air up to a really hot temperature. So the outside of your food where there is fat present is still going to get damaged fat, but far less of it. So an air okay. fryer is a better option. What you can do is you can use an air fryer or better yet, cook at a slightly lower temperature and then add the fat at the end. So like I'll make uh, various types of vegetable fries like carrot fries or sweet potato fries and I'll bake them with no fat on them. And then when I take them out, I'll put a mixture of brain octane oil, which is a, a type of fat that converts directly into ketone energy that's really good for mitochondria. And yes, I manufacture this stuff, so that was a plug. <laughs> and 
Uh, and then I'll also put ghee, and yes, I manufacture that stuff as well, um, or uh, grass-fed butter or guacamole. It doesn't really matter. But you put the fat on afterwards, and what you get is undamaged fat. It soaks in. It still tastes like it was fried. It's delicious, but your cells totally thank you for it. Right. Well, what's also really gross, I think I read this in your book or I heard you talk about it, when you get fried food at a restaurant that they don't have to change the oil. They change the oil, what, like once a week? It is horrifying. The oil they use is usually canola. It usually has glyphosate in it, which is also bad for your mitochondria, bad for your gut bacteria, bad for all of you. Uh, and then the fat is so highly damaged that it, it can have 10 or 100 times more of these free radicals in it that are damaging the lining of your arteries. So it's normal to eat you know, the fried calamari or the french fries and then to want dessert and have these intense sugar cravings because your body's like, I just took a hit. I, I don't have enough energy. Could you give me some sugar? Help me out here. Mm -hmm. So then you get the craving and then you feel guilty about the craving. So then you start you know, going, okay, I, I must be a bad person. I said I wasn't going to have sugar today, but I really want sugar. And you have no idea. It's because you just smacked your system with a huge amount of inflammation and the system is trying to get enough glucose to oxidize the stuff and to get it out of you. So it, it's, it's very interesting how the environment triggers anxiety that you wouldn't think was anxiety, you think it's, oh, I'm, I'm worried about my relationship, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm dealing with some emotional thing. Like, no, you have a vague sense of, of, of panic because your body is feeling a cellular level panic that rolls up into an emotion for you. Right. So I know we're breaking hearts with this French fries news, but you're also giving us alternative ways that we can still eat them. Um, and it's just not worth it. You know, I think also people need to begin now that you kind of shared that story, people can reflect back and go, oh, yeah, that's how I felt, you know, or if you decide in the future to do something like this, that isn't ideal, actually be conscious of how horrible it makes you feel, because that really helps you break that habit. And it, it's one thing to say, I'm going to eat some french fries. They're just food. OK, that's actually not the case. It's quite another thing to say, you know what? I love French fries. They make me feel that, that feeling of love I had when my mom first gave them to me when I was two. Mm -hmm. And I know that they're not good for me, but I'm going to choose to take the pleasure and deal with the consequences. Okay, that is a, a decision that has high integrity. But yes. it's one thing to lie to yourself to have them. And it's another one to just be like, look, I love them. And yeah, I know they're <laughs> not good for me. So I'll, I'll, let me see what I can do to counteract the damage now that I admit the damage exists. Oh, I love that. So how do we – if if Say we decide we love French fries, but so we're, we're going to do it. We're out with our friends. We're going to go, all right, I'm going to do the French fries, but I don't want to spiral out of control and then go for the dessert. But you know that you're, you know, your body set up to do that because of what you're putting it through. Is there something that you can do in between that, you know, at dinner that can help you not dive into the sweets? In, in Headstrong, we actually have a specific French fry mantra and meditation. That, okay, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> You almost believe me, I Jessica. Like, I was like, I did not. I'm, I must have skipped that page. <laughs> uh, no. What, what you do is you actually acknowledge that it might be beneficial to have a small amount of sugar when you get the profound craving. And this makes uh, the, the full keto, you know, sugar is the devil people a little bit mad. But sometimes five or six grams of sugar when your body's in a state of energy crisis because you just gave it a huge amount of inflammatory crap – your body will use that sugar in your liver to actually increase liver function in the short term to get the stuff out. You also should take a bunch of antioxidants. Like this is the time to have uh, anything with polyphenols in it. So green tea, coffee, lots of spices, turmeric, and 
yes, you could take vitamin C, you could take coenzyme Q10, and anything that increases mitochondrial function or inhibits uh, lipid oxidation. So we're talking vitamin E, uh, the fat-soluble form of vitamin C, and basically take a, a good amount of vitamins if you're going to take a bunch of, of essentially free radical generating bad fats. And also, your body can only absorb so much fat. So if you're going to eat some fried stuff, while you're at it, eat some undamaged fat along with it. So add a huge amount of butter to your broccoli while you're also eating the french fries. So the percentage of damaged fat that you eat goes down. Right. So now I have to ask you about butter and healthy fats because some people have heard about this and other people still believe that uh, fat-free is the way to go. So can you tell us about healthy fats and why you know, it helps our brain. Sure. Fat is back. There's an overwhelming <laughs> amount of evidence that in the 70s, uh, some relatively cranky people without experience treating obesity at all uh, were, well, they, they needed to do something with uh, a Senate panel. Uh, this was one run by a guy named McGovern. And he said, well, let's uh, tack this diet problem. So they came up with this fat makes you fat hypothesis, built it into government recommendations, completely raised obesity, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and all these things. And it was just flawed science. There are about five or six people who've built a brand around low-fat diets who are still kind of standing up waving the low-fat flag. But there's very few of them. And all of the leading, most educated researchers uh, have have come out in over the last five, ten years. I, I was one of the early parts of this because I've been running an anti-aging research group for almost twenty years now, and like you can see what happens over time, and and I get to meet some of the researchers. But you look at David uh, Ludwig, who just wrote a book called Always Hungry, and this guy has three professorships: one at Boston Children's, and two at Harvard, one in nutrition, and one in medicine. Okay kind of a knowledgeable guy. And what does he say? Eat more saturated fat. You look at David Perlmutter, who has uh, a PhDs in uh, medicine and nutrition and neurology. Same thing. He just wrote a, a book called Brain Maker. And you look at Daniel Amen, one of the, the top psychologists. Fat fuels your brain. He'll tell you just like that. And you look at Mark Hyman, chairman of functional medicine for the Cleveland Clinic. These are all personal friends of mine. And people who are at the very top of their field seeing patients clinically, doing the research, and well, I'd say to say it, the, the jury's in on this one. And the people who still tell you to eat a low-fat diet, it, it, it's like, come on, it's just, it, it, it's sad. And if you can pull it off with, uh, with an enormous amount of willpower, you will not like what happens to your hormones. You will not like mm -hmm. how you feel, and you especially won't like how you age. You are going to not look good when you're old because every cell in your body, the membrane of the cell, what we like to think of as the cell wall, it's not a wall. It's not even a membrane. It's just drops of fat. And if you stop eating the fat that they're made out of, well, you don't have much in the way of building blocks. You don't have enough testosterone. You don't have enough cortisol. You don't have enough any of the things that make you human. You, you end up being someone who walks around at half power. Right. The jury is out, but the supermarkets are still going with that marketing. I mean, I still walk around and see fat-free all over the place as like a healthy choice. What do you think is going to happen for us to finally reach that tipping point? Do you think we're close? I just launched a new beverage called Fat Water. And it, <laughs> instead of sugar, 
we put a special kind of fat, this brain octane oil that I manufacture, we put it in there because it provides energy in a way that sugar can't. It's, a, it's an energy that's called ketones. It's something your mitochondria love, especially in the brain. It fuels the neurons in the brain better than sugar. And people like it. So I believe that people who are health conscious already figured this out a long time ago. We're eating salmon. We're eating guacamole. Mm. We're adding olive oil. And every time someone says, oh, you have to cut your fat, cut your saturated fat, it's like someone wearing like bell bottoms from the 70s <laughs> coming up. It, it's like, I'm sorry, it, it's right. done. Uh, it, it is really hard to sustain that debate. The one, the one thing you'll hear is, is they'll, they'll say, well, it's the one diet that's proven to, to reverse heart disease, except the ketogenic diet, which is a super high fat diet, also reverses heart disease. It's simply not true. And if you've built your career or you built a company around recommending a low-fat diet, it's very hard to stand up. It takes a lot of courage to stand up and say we were wrong. Mm -hmm. But you know who did do that? It's very interesting. I actually had tears come to my eyes. This actually, it was one of the, the, the most wonderful things uh, that just serendipitously happened to me. I was at a conference with uh, Nina Ter... I was saying her name wrong. Sorry, Nina. Nina Terwich, uh, who's one of the leading uh, high-fat researchers uh, and, of course, I butcher her name, and I'm sorry because it has lots of vowels in it. So, sorry, Nina. Uh, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, put, I'll find out the spelling. I'll put it in the show notes. No problem. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, uh, she's, she's a, a very well-acknowledged well researcher in, in high fat. Uh, anyhow, I'm sitting with her, and I'm saying, you know what? I'm ready to fund a class action lawsuit against the American Heart Association for making people eat the wrong foods. It, it's unconscionable. It's not okay. The very next day, I'm at a, a celebrity's house in Malibu, and I'm giving a talk to 30 very high-end TV and Hollywood people, like, like, like people you've heard of. And I gave the full bulletproof talk, and one of the ladies at the beginning, she says, Dave, I'm a cardiothoracic surgeon. And I said, well, I don't know if you're going to like what I have to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, and I'm open to whatever, whatever feedback you have. So I give my talk, and at the end, there's questions, and, and she raises her hand, and she said, I'm a former executive uh, from the American Heart Association. Uh, former as in, like, like she had been one of the most senior people in it. And, and I'm like, oh, God, she's going to tear me apart, even though I know that what I'm saying is backed up, but, but like, like there's too much organizational stuff. And she turns around to all these people, and she says, I agree with every single thing Dave just said. Uh, she said, we were wrong. Last year, we said uh, cholesterol is, uh, is a, a, a nutrient of non-concern. She said, we were wrong for 30 years. We admitted we were wrong, and now no one will listen to us. We've changed our message. And literally, I got like a lump in my throat. Mm. Because here was, I was thinking that like, okay, there's these people. Like, it's got to be like some conspiracy. How could they not know? But it turns out they did know, and they're working on changing their message too. So if, if you're listening to this, and you still have this idea that, you know, putting some butter in your coffee is going to kill you, or that replacing margarine and artificial seed oils with naturally occurring undamaged fats, you are made of naturally occurring undamaged fats. You are not made out of canola oil and soybean oil and corn oil and all that crap. You're not made out of deep fried anything. Uh, so just, just I, I was truly just like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I, this isn't a fight I have to fight. Like, like knowledge happening. has already shifted. Yeah, it, it was so it was so amazing. Yeah, that's beautiful. And so for someone who wants to begin to incorporate this into their lives, what are some easy ways to incorporate some healthy fats into your diet? Well, 
last year there were 48 million cups of bulletproof coffee served. <laughs> so this is <laughs> the most famous way of doing it, and I'm pretty well known for that. So it almost goes without saying. Uh, there's there's three ingredients: lab-tested, mold-free coffee beans, grass-fed butter, and then brain octane oil, which is a rare extract of coconut oil that puts your body into uh, fat-burning energy metabolism mode. That that's pretty cool. So that that's an easy way to do it. But if you don't want to do that, look, broccoli evolved with all those little crevices just to hold butter. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it, it has to be that, right? Science, so, of course. <laughs> yeah. And you can get grass-fed butter. It's like the best bargain ever in terms of how full it makes you and how much amazing energy is in it. So it's about 3 to $5 for the equivalent of like a pound of butter, a couple sticks of butter. So you can take that and just take a deep breath and look at it and say, this is food. It's not bad. There's no moral judgment for or against it. And then you can take that and you can put it in almost every meal you make, which increases the percentage of fat. You can pour olive oil on. And what we do at my house, we pour brain octane oil a little bit, like a tablespoon on every meal, because it turns off hunger really effectively. So my kids get that stuff. They get a little bulletproof coffee for breakfast. We put it in our in our soup or in our vegetables, in our stew, in our salad dressing. And you can add nuts. Uh, guacamole, now that it's become a health food, uh, you can actually just eat a lot of guacamole. You go to the restaurant and just tell them, are you kidding? You're going to give me that little nickel-sized thing of guacamole? <laughs> How about I give you two bucks and you give me a bowl of guacamole or whatever they charge for it? But they'll bring you a lot more guac. That's one of the simplest things you can do to get real fat back in your diet. And all of these things are directly impacting our, our mitochondria. Your mitochondria gets more electrons from fat than it does from sugar. Fat carries more energy. And it's funny. The unit of energy that we measure is called a calorie. And some mean person is trying to convince <laughs> you to eat less calories, which is going to give you less energy. Like That's not how you're supposed to feel. Do you want to feel less energy? No. What you want to do is tell your body, eat the type of calories that will be consumed as energy instead of stored as fat, and then change the environment around you so that your mitochondria will direct the body to create energy instead of to store energy. And when you do that, you get so much more energy in your brain. Like that's why it's called head strong is, is the brain consumes the most energy. It feels best first when you're at full charge. And then like, Oh, and I had to buy new pants cause they, they, you know, they were too big. The weight loss is a side effect mm -hmm. from getting your energy back. And it's yes. so cool. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mentioned already that my husband knows you as the French fry and LED lights guy. And so uh, let's let's move to the LED lights because I heard you speak at Jim Quick's event and I was sitting in the back because I was, I think I was speaking later that day and I heard you talk about uh, LED lights and I just, I put my face on the tape. I was just like, no, because <laughs> we moved into a house a year ago that has so many light so much light and we just were on a mission to change everything to LED lights because we thought it was the right thing to do and that we'd save on our energy bill so i heard it and i was like no no <laughs> so <laughs> you're not alone there uh, i mean most people are like oh i'd love to save 100 or 200 dollars a month in in my electrical bill like that's real money yeah and 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 you One, think it's good for the planet. That's Yeah. But okay, but break the news. Uh, unfortunately, 
your body has a quadrillion mitochondria. These things are actually little tiny semiconductors, and it is proven beyond all doubt that they are light sensitive. In fact, uh, uh, last week I was at the Scripps Institute uh, with one of their lead researchers on mitochondrial function and circadian timing who had just given a lecture about how dangerous blue light was. And uh, like in his lab, looking at mitochondria under an electron microscope, it's so cool. So, so this is real science. It, it's, it, there's nothing woo-woo about it. it, it it's, it's known. And what happens is that even the, the, lights or the, the light receptors, these mitochondria in your skin are activated as well as in your eyes. And they are designed to consume light as a nutrient. So if you were to, say, look at what's on processed food, you're like, oh, it's mostly corn syrup in there. It's not very good for you. LED lighting, including that white LED, even the so-called full-spectrum LED lighting, it's the corn syrup of lighting. It's an unnatural ratio of these different nutrients that are carried in light. Your body cells respond one way to blue light, and they respond another way to red light and to infrared light and to ultraviolet light. And we're, we're evolved to have the full stack of lighting nutrients, which is called sunlight. And when you take out just the high-stress ones – which are the white and blue LEDs, it causes macular degeneration. It causes 23% more damage in the retina of your eye. And unfortunately, it disrupts mitochondrial signaling networks. It also turns off melatonin for four hours after you're exposed to it. So you think you're doing yourself a favor when you put these LED lights over your desk instead of something like incandescent or halogen, which are pretty well tolerated. Or maybe you spring extra and you buy these uh, these fluorescent lights that are supposed to be full spectrum, but they're still way too high in the blue light. And what it does is it stresses out the mitochondria in your eyes, which, by the way, your eyes are part of your brain. So they communicate that stress into your brain, which causes your body to ask for sugar. In fact, one of the guys who got the, one of the first chapters of Headstrong, I've been sending out the first chapter for people who pre-order Headstrong, uh, and he emailed me and said, Dave, I finally figured it out. I eat the same things at the same time every day. And when I'm at work, by 5 o'clock, I have these intense sugar cravings. And on weekends, I wake up at the same time, eat the same thing, and I have no sugar cravings. And it, it's the light. I'm sitting under these LED lights at work, and I get brain fog, and I get tired, and then I want sugar. It's all the lighting. So this is part of your environment. The air you breathe, the light that you take in, it actually affects you on a cellular level, on a brain level, and on a sugar craving level, even on an anxiety level. I guarantee you there are people listening right now who've learned tapping from you who don't know why they feel the sense of anxiety when they've been at work for a couple hours, and all they need to do is look up and look at the light and realize, oh my God, I'm getting super bright light that's on the same spectrum that my body uses inside itself to communicate, and it's, it's messing up my system. It's creating this feeling of anxiety, and then I'm doing things to relieve the anxiety. What if you change the light bulbs and the anxiety went down? You'd, you'd have to tap less, which would be kind of right. cool. Yeah. Right? What do you recommend for someone who does have this lighting at work, but they don't have the power to change it? Well, there are a couple things you can do. It's amazing what happens if when no one's looking, you stand on your desk and you twist one of those bulbs a little bit, it turns off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am well known for walking into conference room and saying, hey guys, do you mind if we use natural lighting? And I open the window, the curtains, and I turn off the lighting. 
And people go, oh, that's cool. And it's a little, little dim, but they're fine with it. The other thing is uh, there's a product called True Dark Glasses. And these are from a website called biohacked.com. And they, they sell a pair of two glasses. Um, this is something that I, I helped to create. And one of the glasses, the, the True Dark Twilight, blocks every spectrum of light from LEDs or anything else that impacts your brain. So you can see, but your brain believes it's pitch dark. Uh, so you wear these at night before bed for an hour or two to allow your brain to believe that you're in a truly dark environment even though you're not. This goes way beyond blue blocking. Mm -hmm. During the day, uh, there's something called uh, uh, True Dark Daywalkers. And these block the most harmful, stressful spectrum of light indoors. So basically, you wear some lightly tinted glasses that block out specific frequencies of light that are causing stress in your brain. And the combination for me has been transformative because I've had light sensitivity issues indoors for years. I didn't know what they were. Now I understand it's a mitochondrial function issue. Right. And do you feel like the word is getting out? I haven't heard anyone else talk about it except you. The word is getting out, and it's about to get out in a big way. Like I've seen the university research, I, I, stuff that isn't even published yet, and we are looking at hundreds of millions of people getting macular degeneration. This is a form of blindness that is already way on the rise. What happens is the mitochondria inside the eye gets, get weak, and if you have what's called dry macular degeneration, uh, basically the part of the eye that's light sensitive starts to dry up and you get a hole in the middle of your vision is caused from staring at your bright iPhone, your bright computer, and having these LED lights. So we will, this will come out because we have an epidemic of blindness coming our way. We also have an incredible epidemic of nearsightedness. It turns out that going outside without sunglasses on and being in sunlight for even just 20 minutes a day, it recharges your mitochondria, but it also reduces nearsightedness which is pretty amazing. And I've had a lot of people using, uh, people who are bulletproof, they, they look at the content. I've been talking about this for several years now without all the science that's in Headstrong. And they're seeing improvements in vision the same way I have, where I actually went from 2060 vision in both eyes back to 2020 by getting natural light into my eyes and doing eye exercises. Right. So we have a lot wow. more control than you'd think. And you have, we have some of the, most of our, we have a lot of mitochondria in our retina, right? That's one of the places in the body that we have the most. It's totally true. There's, there's See, three I places. See, I read your book. I told you. <laughs> Just I'm, so, I'm so honored. You totally got it right. Yeah, there's in the, the brain, the retina, wait, wait, and in wait. the heart. And the ovaries. Oh, you really did read the book out I here. I did. <laughs> so it turns out women have more power than men because your ovaries have a hundred thousand mitochondria in a few cells. And for men, we have about 15,000 in our neurons, in our brain, in our eyes, in our heart. And women have those as well. So you have those little, a few cells with masses of power. <laughs> well, something that I was curious about, I also heard that you get your mitochondria from your mother. So do women have the ability to improve the mitochondria that they pass down? That is a question that I don't think has been answered. My very first book was about fertility and what do you do before pregnancy to have healthier kids? The short answer I would say is almost certainly, but there isn't a great paper about that. Right. And the, the connecting thing here is that your mitochondria are responsible for epigenetic expression. So epigenetics is the science of how the environment around you changes how your genes are expressed. But what we didn't know 
except for if you're this guy named Doug Wallace, who I write about in the book, who for 40 years has been saying, wait, it looks like the mitochondria are in charge of all this. The mitochondria are the ones that sense the environment around you and decide whether your cells need to be ready for for a, a, a harsh world without enough food and with a lot of strife, in which case you would want to create an energy production system in a baby that is designed for surviving a famine. Or you send them a signal that it's a world of plenty, and then you want a smart, calm, grounded, highly functional human being capable of growth and evolution. So we do get that signal from our environment. What I can't tell you, though, is whether the mitochondrial DNA changes or whether the mitochondria change the DNA that's in the nucleus of your cell. We just don't know that yet, but I would bet that there is a change in mitochondrial DNA because we do know that mitochondrial DNA from the mother uh, does change a little bit. Right. And very interesting. You look at like the obsession so many religions have with maternal bloodlines. Well, <laughs> there's a reason for that. It's because these mitochondria, some of them have more powers than others. Some of them are more prone to inflammation. Like there are there are lineages that have different mitochondrial superpowers and, and they're a part of what makes you who you are. So interesting. And it's exciting because it's still evolving. We're learning so much. And I know something that I find so fascinating is that you want to live to 120. Is that right? 180. Or 140? 180. 180. Oh, wow. Okay. Come on. 120. <laughs> I could do that today. <laughs> that's, that's true. So, uh, so with that, I mean, where do you think the future is when it comes to mitochondria? You know, do you feel like there's going to be systems in play that can? Is is this the key to not aging? You know, is is figuring out how to hack the mitochondria? It, one of the five big theories of aging has to do with mitochondrial senescence or mitochondrial aging. And one of the, the most intriguing pieces of information that's in the beginning of the book is that according to one researcher, about 48% of people under age 40 have early onset mitochondrial dysfunction. That means that you give them oxygen and you give them food and they don't make enough energy compared to what the inputs were. The outputs didn't match the inputs. So they're losing energy and that energy goes into inflammation. But Everyone over age 40 has mitochondrial dysfunction, which we call aging. So if you can make your mitochondria work the way they work when you're 18 years old, even if you're 80, you are really going to like your life. Right. Right. That's awesome. Well, uh, Dave, there are two questions that I like to always end with. One question that I love is if you could share with us something that at the time seemed horrible but ended up becoming a big blessing. Well, one of the things that has profoundly impacted my mitochondria is the fact that I grew up in a basement, in a nice house. The basement had been damaged by a flood. So my bedroom had toxic mold behind the paneling on the walls, and I didn't know it. So I grew up with uh, brain problems, basically behavioral problems. Uh, I had nosebleeds 10 times a day. I was always inflamed and puffy. I got fat at a young age. Uh, rashes, joint dysfunction, arthritis since I was 14. Like, like it, it trashed my biology. And it, it turns out there's an ancient war between bacteria, which is what our mitochondria come from, and mold, which is where penicillin comes from, the first antibiotic that we discovered. So I lived in a basement that was literally poisoning my mitochondria, which means I experienced old age, the, the mitochondria of a very old person, before I was 20. 
and I, I understand where willpower comes from. It's emergent from energy from your mitochondria. And I understand where physical anxiety comes from that feels like emotional anxiety. So even though I took a big biological hit from that, I would not understand how our systems interact with the environment around us. I wouldn't be the the biohacker that I am today. And I wouldn't have been able to to change my brain and just my entire body so radically and to be able to share this with literally millions of people um, had I not gone through this. So <laughs> it was a little uncomfortable at the time. In fact, it sucked out right. Uh, but I'm, uh, I have a, a gratitude practice, which is in the book and also affects your mitochondria. And I'm actually grateful that I went through that and I survived because it's given me a really unique perspective and enabled me to, to help literally millions of people lose weight and just turn their brains back on. Like it, it's kind of profound. Yes, it is profound. So my last question is if you could be any animal, what would you be and why? That is bizarre. I, I like to think about I like to think about my dachshund Merlin, but everyone gets mad if you if you talk about like the happiest dog on earth. <laughs> no, listen, so, it's your it, this is a big decision. You have to be I, an animal for the rest of your life. What would you be and why? I, I have to say Merlin has the, the most chill existence of any of any animal on earth because all he ever does is get petted and like rubs his tummy. Uh, and eats raw grass-fed meat, but hey, that we'll set him aside for a minute. I'm I'm kind of thinking that the honey badger has a lot of coolness to it because it's just full of energy, and because even when like a cobra bites it, it just takes a nap and wakes up and just keeps going. <laughs> I want that <laughs> really? level of resilience. That's badass. Okay. That's- that's amazing. And you know, it is a bizarre question, but I think it gives people an insight on your personality. So you're you're a honey badger. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so Dave, where can people pick up your book? That's the big question. Well, you can go to orderheadstrong.com and I'll send you a bunch of bonuses uh, when you send me your receipt. And you'll be able to buy it as of April 4th, everywhere books are sold. And you can pre-order it today via your favorite online reseller. And I'd say if you're thinking of ordering it, it's a huge way of saying thanks to an author when you pre-order it because it helps us know how many copies to print. So thanks for considering it. It's called Headstrong. And it is full of stuff you've never heard before that gives you more control of your own biology. Guys, go get it. It's so, so good. And Dave, I'm incredibly grateful for you. I've learned so much from you. And let's also mention your podcast because you have an unbelievable podcast. It's called Bulletproof Radio. It is indeed. It's usually in the top 10 in health and fitness. And I thank you for the compliment. I have about 360 episodes now. And I'm going to keep doing this twice a week because I learn from some of the most fantastic researchers out there. And I, I would have these conversations anyway. You just get to listen in. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, Dave. Thank you, Jessica. Jessica.